Welcome to Practically Political. It's great to have you with us. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield, and we are excited for this special episode with our special guest again returning, Masada Siegel. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you guys again. It's always insightful and interesting, and I love the different perspectives. Great. Well, let's get right to it. I'm going to throw this first question to Dave. So, Dave, just looking at this bombshell report from The Washington Post, they reported that Ukrainian President Zelensky, he secretly wanted to attack Russian villages and even destroy a pipeline between Russia and NATO member Hungary. Do you think that this bombshell report should cause the West to rethink its strategy with Ukraine? And do you think it's going to be a factor in the 2024 presidential race? Well, the short answer is no and no, because as you say, these are just allegations. And again, thinking about doing something, talking about doing something is a lot different than actually doing something. Just like there have been many people who have talked about not abiding or complaining about election results, but there's only been one person, as we know, that's actually tried to overturn it. So I think that uh, overall, Zelensky has played his hand very well. And I think whatever you think, whatever one thinks of Joe Biden's foreign policy, I think he's handled the, the Ukraine situation very well. So I wouldn't read too much into these reports. The bottom line is that Zelensky wants to preserve his country. Ukrainians want to be free. You're seeing a lot of countries. Germany just came through with a $3 billion package, which is huge because Schultz had been criticized for not walking the talk. And uh, and you. It, so I, I, I think it's not going to be a factor in the 24 election unless things go terribly wrong. But I th- I really do believe, and Kevin McCarthy, to his credit, when he was in Israel, uh, shot back at a Russian reporter. And I need to go out of my way to say how impressed I was with his candor and his and his spine on this one, saying, no, we are what your country did was bad. And we're going to stick with Ukraine. Russia cannot win. Dave, all hell has Frozen over, you complimented Kevin McCarthy. My hat is off to you. <laughs> I compliment Donald Trump. I compliment people when they deserve it. Yes, no, but I think that's the first for me that I've heard you compliment Kevin McCarthy. So kudos to you. But uh, no, I, I think uh, I think that yes, I think you can both uh, be you know wanting answers as far as like how are we spending the money, how how are taxpayers, U.S. taxpayers you know, subsidizing this this conflict, I think it's a good investment because it protects the West from Russian aggression. And so it's actually out in some ways sort of outsourcing Amer- American and NATO interests to be fought for by the Ukrainian, you know, blood and, and uh, their military. So it's it's strategically very good for the United States. But I also think it's unfortunate when anybody ever wants to ask any questions uh, or be, you know, you know, Ask Zelensky, why are you planning to go on, you know, invade Russia, basically? Because the Washington Post said that the plan, and again, I understand what you're saying, you're talking about it, but the fact that he's even talking about it means that there's an intention, there's a desire, and possibly secretly, uh, they probably are doing some of these assassinations anyway already, um, but that there is a desire uh, to go on offense. Uh, I think that's an impulse that really should be questioned, and there's nothing you know, unpatriotic for an American to say that. Um, and there's also nothing unpatriotic for an American to say, 
Why are we spending so much money protecting a foreign border when our own border is completely overrun? It's a complete disaster. And as far as I, I'm concerned, Mayorka should be impeached and removed and put somebody else in there. But uh, but yeah, I, I think there there's a way to walk and chew gum. And I think that unfortunately, when it comes to Ukraine, it's, it tends to be so black and white in in either direction. But let's get Masada in. So I, I will tell you, war is war. And I think as an American, we don't really thankfully comprehend what that means. So the fact that Zelensky is thinking or planning or has ideas in his head, I mean, tens of thousands of young people have died on both sides right now. And I don't think we like appreciate how horrifying that is. I mean, this is this is a war situation. So do I agree that, do I think that you should attack more cities? Do I think you should attack a NATO friend of ours? Not particularly, but am I surprised? No. And the thing is, this war is so complicated and so many different countries have so many different interests in the situation. For example, like you said, you know, Ukraine fighting against Russia is doing a service to certain countries because they're not having to get involved in this situation. Um, and then when you ask certain countries to say, well, do you pick the Ukraine or do you pick Russia? What side are you on? Well, they might be on the side of the Ukraine because Russia did invade a sovereign nation. However, they have their own interests. One of the things that I learned when I was at um, at SIPA, at Columbia University's School of International Public Affairs School, was countries have permanent interests, not permanent friends. And so there's a there's a there's a lot at play here. So in terms of the 2024 election, I don't think it will make a difference. I think America, pretty much we stand behind Ukraine. I'm going to say this is the feel that I get on the ground right now from talking to people. And I also think inflation is a much bigger issue for people. I think grocery shopping is is is, is more of an interest at play in the 2024 election. I think people are more interested in their own pocketbook than they are in what's going on. And the, the foreign foreign budget is so low compared to the national budget of how much money we spend here that I, I think people just aren't that interested. Well, and, and the only thing I would add, too, is that, again, I won't get into the what I think is a false equivalency about saying our borders and their borders. But the bottom line is that anyone who says, well, we're, we're spending too much money on Ukraine, it's going to be chump change compared to what if Putin wins and then he goes after the Baltics or he goes after some NATO country. So this is really, as far as I'm concerned, a preemptive expense, which I think will be well worth it. And it's also the world order we've had since the end of uh, the, the Second World War. And, and if, Masada, I could, please. if I could just jump in real quick, um, I know my European friends, they're the ones who are more concerned than anyone else. The price of gasoline has gone up. The price of electricity has gone up. They, they're the ones who are petrified that if Russia does advance through Ukraine, they might be next. And some of these, some of my friends in, in smaller countries like the Netherlands, I mean, they're, they're not, they're not going to be able to protect themselves. It would cause a major world war. And, and the truth is, it's 2023. I think it's time for us to try to use diplomacy to the best of our abilities. I agree. Masada, what, what do you have on tap? So, you know what? The, uh, the U.S. Surgeon General under the Biden administration came up with the fact that so many people in America are lonely. There was a big report, an 81-page report, how lonely Americans are. And this is so bizarre considering technology connects us all, or so we think. So my question is, 
what what is causing the loneliness in this country is technology to blame is the lack of religion in our lives to blame or is it past elections where the whole country just tore each other apart and families were torn apart in what i believe was for no reason over politics um so what do you guys think what do you think is what do you think happened and what do you think can help people i know i've got some solutions but i want to hear what you guys have to say carrie yeah well i masada i think all of the above, as far as the, the problems that you identified, I agree. All of those things are weighing why there is so much loneliness. And what what's yeah kind of ironic is that we're never more connected from a technological standpoint, but we're never more lonely than we are right now. And I think what's really sad is that especially young people, they're they're substituting, you know, FaceTime in, in their screen uh, that can never substitute. Uh, and at least we're actually having real we are real people having conversations. We're not avatars. We're not uh, in social media right now. We're actually having these conversations with ourselves. But uh, but just the lack of in-person community, family. Uh, it's There's a book that uh, Robert Putnam, a, a Harvard professor, uh, wrote about it's called Bowling Alone and just the decline in what he calls social capital. Um, and this, it, it predates you know even what's happening with the technology. It's been on the decline, the decline in social capital for, you know, I would say since in, you know, rapidly since the 60s, when you saw the collapse of, of the family, a collapse of traditional values, I would say. Um, and last week I was actually up in New York and got to do a podcast with Cardinal Dolan, as you know, Masada, um, he had seen an article that I'd written about Generation Z and how they're much more open right now to returning to the idea of God and faith. Um, and there's all sorts of public policy and public health data. I, I cited a couple of studies. One was from the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is the feeder for the Federal Reserve, showing that there is a correlation, strong correlation between states that had high religious practice and low suicide rates, low alcoholism, uh, low uh, drug overdose. And it was similar results was found by the Harvard Chan School of Public Health. Um, similarly, they were looking at healthcare providers, actually, I think it was nurses, and they found that nurses who went to religious practice had much lower rates of, they call them death of, deaths of despair, which is suicides, alcohol deaths, and drug overdoses. So God, I believe, is in the healing business, and that's something that the community of faith, whether it's a synagogue, you know, in your case, Masada, or a church in my case, or mosque, um, whatever house of worship that you're in, uh, it's not only that direct, direct connection to the higher power, but it's also connecting to other people who are, you know, we're all struggling together. And I think that that, and I told the Cardinal, I said, you know, the church should be a place where wounded people go. It's not a place to put up a fake facade that you have to, that everyone's fine. It's actually the hospital for the, the sick. That's how you should think about church. And I think that, that that focus will help our country. I agree. I think, but you two have summed up a lot of it, but I think really what you had was you had a perfect storm where so many wrong things happened exactly at the right time. You had a combination of COVID isolating people. You had a combination of uh, social media going to the next level, fueling conspiracy theories, fueling divisiveness, all this stuff you've had. Uh, a lot of people, the social, economic, and moral decay that started in the cities, then spread to the suburbs, and have now, has now reached rural America. And so a lot of people feel that they're losing their country, that they're not going to live as long or as well as their parents. And then I think you have a, a lot of people who are being left behind by the new economy. You know, And this is something that we experienced when we went from a 
uh, an agrarian economy to an industrial economy. A lot of people didn't have the skill sets to compete in the new economy and they felt left behind. And you're seeing the same thing happen as we go from a, an industrial economy to a digital economy. So I think all of these things are factoring in. And as Carrie says, I really think there is a huge, I guess the best way to, to describe it would be morality gap. And I believe that's why I always draw such a strong line between faith and religion, because faith is your set of beliefs. It's what inspires you. It's what you go to church or your place of worship for or what makes you spiritual. Religion is the proselytizing, the cramming parochial laws down the throat of our secular society, the sclerotic Catholic church with the pedophilia and all that stuff and taking advantage of people. But people need a moral center. They need some inspiration. And that's what I think more than anything is lacking. And so, yes, I think it is a real crisis. And interestingly enough, this, this, as you mentioned, this problem is worse with men than it is with women. And I think part of that is women in general tend to be happier than men to start with. But also I think there's a, an onus, a burden that men feel that they're supposed to be providing. They're supposed to be the trailblazers. You know, they're the ones that get affected by being left out of the economy. They're the ones who are affected most uh, when there's a one-parent household, which, by the way, is that's the number one criterion which will determine whether a kid gets out of poverty is whether it's a one-parent or two-parent house, household. So you have a parental crisis as well. So a lot of this stuff has all come together. And I, the question is, how do we solve it? And I think encouraging people to find places of worship, things that inspire them, uh, re just reaching out to friends, just connecting in person because hyper-connectivity electronically breeds uber-loneliness. So, so Dave, I, I, I agree with everything you've had, what you've had to say. Um, I, and I look at it the same as, as Carrie also. It's faith, it's family, it's friends. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I do personally is twice a month, my seven-year-old and I, um, my seven-year-old son, Jacob, and I, we do like a tech Sabbath. So there's no phone calls, there's no technology, there's no internet, there's no TV, there's no videos. And we really hang out together and concentrate on spending time together or with friends or with um, his grandparents, something like that. So we're really focused on one another. And I think I think that really, I mean, I crave that time. And it's also a great break for me mentally to not be connected. I'm not a doctor. I'm not saving someone's life. So it's not essential that, you know, that I, I need to be reached right away. And I think, I think turning off technology teaches people that they're in charge. Their technology is not in charge. And I think that empowers them. And again, I think it's about spending time together and speaking with people, but it's a serious crisis. And even even just now on the, the front page of the Wall Street Journal website, they talk about how many young people are dying. And I think it's something that's really serious that needs to be addressed and needs to be focused on. No, I, I agree. I agree. So my question for you folks is, given the recent town hall uh, episode with Donald Trump, where, again, as you have said, Masada, people want to talk about inflation. They want to talk about what's going on with the economy, but there was no looking forward. It was all looking backwards. It was the grievance, the victimism, victimization. It wasn't just doubling down. It was quadrupling down, you know, calling January 6th a beautiful day, calling the black police officer that shot Ashley Babbitt as she was trying to threaten congressmen a thug, 
you know, it, the list goes on and on, and I'm not going to go through each one. But the point is, how do you think this affects the 24 campaign? Because even senators, and I'm not talking Lisa McCaffrey and Mitt Romney, the usual people that criticize the president, but Senator Young, Senator Braun from Indiana, Mike Rounds, these are pretty mellow guys that don't usually come out and say, take a stand on things. So given the fact that all three of us, whether we're irrespective of which party we want to win, don't want Donald Trump as president, how do you think this is going to affect the 24 campaign? And what should the other candidates in the race do? How should they react? Why don't I, I'll, I'll start it uh, with you first, Gary. Well, uh, my first pick would be Glenn Youngkin, and he's not running. So, uh, But if we did have a President Trump, I do like his policies. So if, if he's the nominee, I would vote for him. But I think overall, um, well, what was very interesting was actually seeing how the, the liberal media actually feared the, the town hall. I think it was actually a win for Trump in a lot of ways. Even Rolling Stone did an article about all the, the meltdown within CNN about people who felt like the moderator didn't do a good job. And, and I agree with you, Dave, that the questions were focused on backward looking issues. And that to me, that's that's a, a dereliction of duty, but it's not just CNN. And look, I, I go on CNN, I have friends over there, but it's, it's a bigger media problem because they're hyper-focused and obsessed with January 6th. But January 6th is like very low on the list of what voters actually care about. Uh, and, and it's a, that's a lose, lose. It's a lose for Donald Trump to talk about it. It's a lose for the media to talk about it. And ultimately the citizens lose. So I agree that the town hall should have been much more forward looking, but that's, it's like this mutually assured destruction when, when you have both parties here are, you know, saying things that they shouldn't say and focusing on topics they shouldn't focus on. Like, yeah, why didn't we have a conversation more about, uh, inflation CNN or, you know, lots of media companies. They don't want to talk about inflation because it makes Joe Biden look bad. They don't want to talk about the fact that the average mortgage payment under Joe Biden, this was shocking. The uh, the House uh, Commerce Committee put this out, the Republicans. It's It's gone up by 91% since Joe Biden took office. That's astronomical. The average mortgage payment for the median, I'm sorry, the median, which means, you know, everyday families are paying almost 100% more for their mortgage payment than Joe Biden. And, and yeah, that's what that's what should have been the focus of the town hall. So I, I we're agree, we're in agreement on that point. I think that um when it when it comes to Ron DeSantis, we're gonna see because he's probably gonna declare in, in two weeks. And I'm I'm sure he's gonna get a bump. The question is whether or not he's going to be able to, you know, looking back on 2016, what was the playbook? Nobody was consistent in how they were able to uh take you know any successful shots at Trump. So that's where I feel like uh, if DeSantis wants to distinguish himself, I think he could say, Trump, why didn't you fire Fauci? Why did you shut down the country? Why was I pushing against you um, as president? And so I think there's some openings, but uh, we'll see. Masada, what do you think? Well, I, I have to tell you, I did not watch the town hall. Um, you know what? Tell I, And I worked in television for years in broadcast news. I mean, Americans love they love drama. They love live TV. They love excitement. Um, I think Donald Trump is going to split the Republican Party. There's no doubt in my mind. And if he if he continues to win um, and do well in the media, he's gonna he's gonna ensure a Biden win in 2024. I have no doubt of that. Um, I also think Americans like the drama. They don't like 
the politics. Um, Nathana, can you pause for a second? Yeah. You cut out. I didn't hear anything you said. Michael, did you? Yeah. Can, can you make that last point again, yeah. Masada? Because your, your mic went dead. So. You were dead for like 10 seconds. So right. I don't know. Okay. 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 Oh, I'm so All right, sorry. We'll keep, okay, so keep, you heard keep, her. Okay. Because I, I thought that you, you wouldn't hear her, Michael. Do you want it's me to okay. Michael can edit it out. So keep, keep on going with that. Yeah, I can, I can, okay. I can start again. Um, okay. Just I'm tell sorry. me when you're ready for me to start. Okay. Okay, Masada. Yeah, I've tried. Start, start over again. Okay, well, that, that's good because I, I'll, I'll answer better the second go around. Um, so um, to answer your question, I think Americans are in love with reality TV and Trump is the master. Trump won in 2016 because of all the free publicity and the media that he got. Um, I think at this point in time, I think Americans are, they love the entertainment. They're tired of the politics. They don't want to fight with their neighbors. They don't want to fight with their friends. Just like in Arizona, the independents um, called the day and, and they and they pushed back against um, the Trump voters because, or I mean, against the Trump candidates. And that's because America is about looking forwards. And I think Trump is busy looking backwards and he's busy with his own self. And I don't think young people like him. And that's a problem. I mean, I'll give credit where credit is due. He's not my candidate, but he did some, he did do some good political things. Like I am open enough to see what people do as politicians. And I'm more interested in politicians that do things than fighting about their character or this or that. I mean, at this point in time, I don't look to politicians as role models, unfortunately. I look more to, you know, rabbis or priests or teachers or first responders. And for me, they're more the people that you can look at as heroes and people who are making a difference. Um, and in terms of 2024, I definitely think that Trump will split the party because if he's if he's the not if he's nominated, I don't think he will win because I think people are tired of the drama as much as they like watching it on TV. And he also, you know, um, Rupert Murdoch is no longer his friend. The the liberal so-called media, I don't think it's liberal, but the media in general, not a fan, but they'll give him the free publicity. But the thing is this, he will, if he's not the nominee, then he will not back the nominee and, and, and he will split the party and that will ensure a Joe Biden win. So I think the Republicans have a lot of work to do to pick the right candidate if they actually want to win. And they have a good platform and they have good ideas. And this is, this is the truth, but I think they need to find candidates that actually represent all ages and are forward thinking. I think we really need to look forward. And, and, and in terms of some candidates, like I just wish they would stop harping on on gays and lesbians and transgender. I think those issues, again, backward thinking, abortion issues, backward thinking. We don't want to go backwards. I think we want to go forwards. Well, as I always say, you know, there's the direct Trump wreckage, which is the subverting the rule of law and inciting the insurrection and the nativism and the grievance and the divisiveness and all that stuff. And then there's the indirect wreckage, which is people like Ron DeSantis, who used to be pragmatic, uh, uh, center-right or maybe conservative, but you know they were about governing and that have gone off the deep end with social issues and you know 
12 year olds can carry guns and all that. And then there's also the uh, negativeness, the negativity in the country. And so I think that two things, if you're gonna take a bully on, you gotta punch him in the nose. And I just don't understand how these candidates, like Nikki Haley the other day, would not even criticize him for being convicted for sexual assault by his peers. And 40% of the country just yawns. The bar has become so low. And I also carry, you know, you say, well, I like his policies, even though I don't like him. So I'll, I'll support him if he's the nominee. You know, you've said that you wouldn't support David Duke if he were the nominee. And believe me, I'm not in any way trying to downplay how odious David Duke is. He is a reprehensible human being who has done despicable things. But is someone who is a KKK grand wizard 30 years ago? That's terrible. But so is trying to overturn a free and fair election. So is threatening to bring back Mike Flynn as your security advisor, as wanting to suspend the Constitution. So I just don't get this. Well, his policies are so good. Don't worry. You know, we'll, it's worth having him as president. No, it's not, because we may not have a democracy. And yes, you can say I'm being dramatic, but... He's out there. He's saying it in spades. Do you want me to respond? I mean, I, I think I think there's not even it's night and day. I don't think comparing him to David Duke is the same thing. I think it's oranges and pineapples. And the uh, I, I agree he went too far in the things that he said for the election, but he never once actually things called, he did. He never he didn't just say them. He did them. But he never called for violence. Um, but again, look, voters don't care about January 6th. They don't. So as much as you want to talk about it, Dave, the voters don't care about it. They And, and then, then the assault conviction, the fact that the New York legislature changed the law to go after Donald Trump, it was just baldly political. That's why people don't buy it. See, again, it's the, it's, it's, it's the, this is always the thing. It's the system. It's, it's the environment. It's, it's, it's not Trump's fault. It's always he's the he's the the victim. You know, you have it's like Jerry Sandusky. You have 25 people that are accusing you of something. One or two of them are probably telling the truth. If it's one or two, fine. And but the fact that he would call this woman a whack job after he was just convicted. My point is this man is off the rails and any any guardrails any people like Mattis or John Kelly that were there in the first term, any incentive to behave because he needs to be reelected, all that stuff is going to be gone. He's telling us what he's going to do. Okay, so whatever, and I agree, some of his policies were good. I give credit where it's due. But this is a risk to our democracy. And yes, I think it is fair. What, he, what David Duke did was different, okay? But they're both equally odious in their, in their, in their own ways. So I, th I think there needs to be a wake up here. And I'm hoping that um, someone's going to come out and punch Trump in the nose. And the good news is we still have a long way to go before the election. And I'm, I'm still confident that someone else will emerge. Just as, by the way, being fair and balanced, I hope Joe Biden will be talked out of running because the fact that he's running, I think, is an abomination as well, as we've talked about. So I will leave the last word with, with you, ladies. Well, I'd like to say that, you know what, I do think it's time for some fresh leadership. I think we need fresh ideas in this country. I think we need to be forward looking. I, I happen to like Joe Biden, much to the you know chagrin of my Republican friends who don't understand why. 
who I hear from all the time. Um, but but I do I do think that we really need to focus on the future. We really need to focus on social issues in a positive way. We need to focus on the economy. I know a lot of people like Trump because the because Wall Street did tremendously well under him. But I think I think we really need to step back from the politics and focus on the people around us and focus on the policies that we want moving forward. And maybe it would be really wise if we stopped looking at politicians as entertainment and just went to like Netflix or Bravo for, for entertainment and let politics be boring again. I think that would be a good, a good thing for the United States. <laughs> I agree with that. I think that it's a toxic mix of celebrity and politics and it should really, it should be focused on the policy and the substance. Um, I do think though that part of why Trump won was because and this is something, uh, you know, the root of the word democracy is is demos, which means people. And over and over, I just hear this enormous disconnect between the liberal elites. I'm talking about the media. I'm talking about Hollywood. I'm talking about academia. The, the, the power brokers who set cultural norms in this country are so overwhelmingly liberal and leftist. The fact that we're debating whether or not a 250-pound, six-foot-two male should be allowed while having an erection in a sorority. That's disgusting. And and the fact that that's like, it's like the emperor has no clothes. That's, and, 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 uh, and then the statements that this individual made talking about being a trailblazer, it's clear this person is just exploiting this. But that, that that's that's what the left, and that's, that's at a, a university. That's like the most educated populace. So when people say, oh, the, you know, the right shouldn't talk about culture stuff, like, I'm sorry, but the culture stuff came on our doorstep because the, the, the elite norm setters in our country are so divorced from common sense. That's why Trump won. So how about the root of democracy is demos? How about you respect the people? How about you respect the common sense of everyday people and you don't impose this insane Marxist ideology on us and then we'll get some normal politicians again? Well, Trump won because first of all, the Democrats discarded those voters. So they deserve part of the, part of the blame. And also uh, there was a perfect storm with Hillary being a terrible candidate and it's very hard for someone to be reelected and then someone from the same party to win a so-called third term. It's only happened twice in history. So that's, those are the reasons that Trump won. And if you look again, yes, there's a couple of examples, but how many, maybe one or two or three examples in the entire country where men are competing in women's sports. Now, I agree it's totally wrong, but they, again, that this, this is false equivalency where you're trying to compare that to a man who's openly said that he uh, uh, doesn't like uh, democracy, that he's an authoritarian, that he won't criticize Putin. He won't even say who, whom he wants to win the war. So uh, I think that it's up to the American people to um, make the choice. And frankly, it's up to the Democratic Party to do what they do best when they win, and that's talk about kitchen table issues, not talk about issues that a lot of people feel correctly or not are woke issues. So on that, I think we're gonna to have to leave it there, but again, a great conversation, and it is so great to have Masada with us again. So I will sign off and say, thanks for joining us on another episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield, thanks for joining us.
And I'm Masada Siegel. Pleasure to be with you both.